What up guys, welcome to Archive TV. I'm Dogwalker was back for another strain review. Today we just uh, picked up some weed at the shop to uh, take a look at. This one here is the Dogwalker OG from Deep Creek Gardens. It's, uh, I would assume, Rich's Dogwalker cut, which uh, was really popular here in the medical scene, like when, the, when medical first came off. I feel like, uh, what was it, Slimer? which was one of Subcool's strains. Okay, they and remember that. Dog Walker were like, or uh, were some of the like most widely grown strains. Um, Dog Walker was? It's Albert Walker OG crossed with Chem 91, or it's, I think it originally thought it was Chem 91, but I think it ended up being a Chem 4 clone that made it, which makes sense to me. I mean, it's super chemy. Yeah, super chemy OG on the look. And the, the smell on this yeah. one, I'm not really getting any Albert Walker, any of those kind of crazy turbs. No. There's like maybe a little bit of some like sweeter tone than a chem would normally have on the back end, but it's not it's not distinguishable as Albert Walker. It's more just like a this has some sort of chem variation. Nose wise on this one, I'm just getting like a this just takes me back to like classic, you know, mid twenty tens LAOG. Almost like a Almost like a high octane or like a something that's just like crazy gassy, a little like kerosene action going mm -hmm. on in there. But all the rest of the OG, you know, profile too that you used to see all the time, you know? Yeah, except when you crack the like jar in the container, it has that chemi, I wouldn't call it the full on GMO halitosis. It doesn't have the like putrid part of it but it has that skunky tone. It's funky. Yeah, the funky that is kind of consistent with uh, chem hybrids. I'm going on this little little tiny guy here. I love the pieces like this that got the little tiny mouthpiece. It just concentrates the flavor right mm -hmm. on the tip of your tongue. For totally. whatever reason, I just feel like I can get way better flavor out of a little piece like this, especially for just you know testing flour real quick. Yeah. We used to do all these reviews with Big old bongs, you know what I mean? Tough to do. It's, looking back on it now, not the best way to do a review. You want to put it in the paper, or just take a couple of hits out of a pipe, you know what yeah. I mean? This stuff's loud, I'll tell you that right now. It's uh, yeah. kind of wafting all over the room right now. I think that's what always made the dog walker popular. Um, you know, and shout out to Rich for making it and distributing it. We'll have a uh, podcast coming up with him here in the future as well. Um, probably be doing that from a tropical location. <laughs> Hawaii? Yeah, he's out there now. So um, I'll uh, catch up with him when I'm out there and uh, try and get a podcast for you guys. So, so there's some good episodes you could do out there. That's, uh, you know, some of, some of these places that we've been talking about, you know, in the future, kind of mm -hmm. going to different spots. And one thing I really want to do is go to these different areas, different states, different, different regions, potentially eventually different countries and kind of, Find out what is going on, like what's the special, every spot kind of has their local cultivars that maybe don't make it out that far right away that are kind of local favorites. Mm -hmm. And I want to kind of get out to these different places and kind of, you know, get to see what, what everybody's smoking out there because you, you travel state to state and it's, uh, you know, there's, there's the staple strains that make it all over the country and become popular everywhere. But then there's these little niche strains that only kind of you know, become big in these small spots, you know? Right. I want to go find all those too. Totally. It's usually, you know, small groups of enthusiastic growers that are kind of doing their own thing against whatever the broader market conditions are. It's like everybody's importing purple bubbas and these guys are, 
growing haze hybrids like in New York because it, it's there's a nostalgia value to them and there's a unique market condition where nobody is supplying anything of that type anymore and pretty much everybody else is dealing in fake terp sprayed runts candy smalls from LA <laughs> I think there's something to be said for that too like uh you know creating stuff that's that's for you I, I know you kind of always done that like you breed for your palate and not for yeah you know the broader well you have to, what people like in general to, I mean to even have any impact on the market you definitely have to roll with the trends but you know taking some older more unique varieties and trying to put a variation on them that uh, people really enjoy I mean a perfect example is people are like are like oh what makes Moombo good is the skittles and it's like dude if you've ever smelled Moombo 99 or 112, they're not, no one, I've never shown anybody that doesn't know weed, or I mean someone that doesn't know what I made, and hand them like a 112 or a 99. They're not going to think it's and, Skittles. And they go, does this have Skittles in it? It's, I've never had that happen once. Even when I showed the weed to uh, Tony Mendo Turpogs, right? I gave him a 99 nugget at the Emerald Cup, and he's like, what's this? He didn't have any idea that it was a Skittles cross, really, because the 99 in particular is like a skunky, sour, diesel, fuely with like this slight hint of some weird fruity tropical stuff in the background. But it's mostly old school, fuely, dank, dank weed. It's not, uh, it doesn't smell like Skittles. So it's like, you know, so which parent was it then that made it so good, apparently? Because everybody, everybody likes to read into lineage as if they can assume what the hybrid's going to be based on what the parents are. And that just simply isn't true. There's so many things that are a hybrid of, of two varieties that doesn't really resemble either parent or just has a little bit of traits from both, but is with breeding ideally different enough that it's something new. Well, it's like we've talked about before, you know, it's two people, I, I can be six foot, uh, my wife is 5'10", we have a kid, the kid's 6'5", you know what I mean? It just happens. Or a midget. <laughs> or a midget. Like, you know, it's yeah. not easy as you're five eight, you're five ten. The kid's gonna be five nine. Right, exactly. Yeah, this uh, I'm digging this stuff, man. It's uh, it's definitely delivers in all all aspects. It's uh, looks good, smells good, tastes good. I'm just really getting like a pretty pretty pure classic OG here with a little extra funky kick. I agree. I mean, I feel like that's what the dog walker always kind of was. It was the most fuely thing in the tackle box. Yeah, it's like absolute like petrol, you know. It's got all the traits of all everything people like to call gas, essentially. It's got chem gas in there. It's got OG gas in there. It's got that fuely, fumy kind of uh, kerosene -y type smell to it as well, um, and a little bit of that GMO-y funk in there too, which I guess falls in the chem D kind of category yeah I put those kind of in the same family flavor wise right. you know what I mean yeah it's uh sometimes I, I think I might mention the other day I saw somebody be like I see you guys all the time you know describing some of these different flavor profiles and and especially I do this to, de to describe this I might refer back to something else from before you know but if you don't have that point of reference if you didn't smoke that strain that we're talking about from back in the day or whatever come into the shop and buy some so you can <laughs> Or find someone selling some so that you can. Yeah. You know, it's ha not having a palate isn't, uh, or not having the experience is 
just a result of seeking out and finding said experience. It's just weird that now with more more accessibility and more more quantity out there, it's become hard. You really have to kind of search out to find, especially the older shit. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you kind of gotta you gotta make it a mission. You gotta weed through the fakes. Yeah, too, which well, didn't used to be so much of an issue. When you find some of these old classics that maybe some of you guys haven't tried, but you've heard us talk about. Um, when we've tried so many different things over the years and, and the memory of this one still gets us excited or for you, you still keep something old around because mm -hmm. you just never, you never want to not be able to smoke it again. Yeah. You know, when you, when you make that mission and you find those flavors, it's usually worthwhile. I agree. I'm getting more earthy from the joint a little bit on the earthier side. OG-ish. Yeah. At least this, this batch. Um, it's not as sharp as I was expecting. A lot of the, um, a lot of the uh, dog walker. It's it's very. I wouldn't call it temperamental, but the way you grow it affects how it comes out. So multiple different um, like methods of growing can you can have different traits kind of come out each way. I prefer it when it's like it's at its most chemi, and this is probably I would say more on its. OG uh, leaning, what's actually known as a phenotype, which is the environmental effect on, a, in like a seed population, like a field population, it would be like the environmental effect on a seed population, but in the context of like how we grow cannabis from clonal um, varieties, the essentially your different cultivation method plus the environment can uh, coax the plant to produce certain types of essentially phenotypical change or difference. So it's like in this grow, it's more OG-ish. In this one, it's more chemi. And in this one guy's grow, it almost has a walker smell to it. What's the main variable that's going to make it more on the earthy side or more on the chemi I think, side? I think environment is probably the first one. So your temperature, your humidity, your nighttime temperatures, your, uh, that would be like your main thing. And then and your lighting. So I'm always going to want it on the funky, gassier, more putrid side. Right. What, 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 what direction am I going to go for that as far as I, temperature I don't think, and all that? I don't, honestly, I haven't grown enough dog walker side by side in multiple methods to even know. Like you can even have the same room and the environment is, what is relatively pretty much the same in between runs, but you change like your media. Or maybe you fertilize this round a little bit heavier than last round. Or maybe you um, introduced your phosphate earlier into flour. Or maybe you flushed this round too long. Or maybe this round didn't get flushed enough. All those things can all have an impact on the final product. So it may not be trait dependent or characteristic dependent, but strain overall dependent. So you're yeah. going to have to work with it before you're going to have to work it. with it. And then you'll figure out, okay, this is how I like the dog walker grown and how it... Um, and then this is how I grow it to achieve that. And I, I don't think that's gonna necessarily be consistent. Even grow to grow yourself, much less grow to grow person to person. Um, it's, there's just two certain strains, especially when they're like poly hybrids that haven't been um, stabilized at all in terms of inbred. Uh, they, can, they have a tendency to be more pheno, phenotypically variant just because of the, the um, None of the, it's, it, it, there's a lot of genes fighting for dominance 
in that clone. There's no set traits that have been kind of stabilized and made it not very, not have very much variation. And they're not that dominant. Right. So you kind of have like a lot of genes trying to fight for the limelight. And then depending on which environment you provide it and how healthy you grow the plant and everything help else. Help one win out over another. It'll help bring out some of those traits that may or may not um, exhibit themselves when your temperature is below 75 degrees. You got to get it between 75 and 82. Or maybe it's LED lighting needing a higher temperature and that just burns off some of the terps that you get when you run HIDs at a lower room temperature. There's just a million variables that could potentially uh, have a negative or positive impact. Like I think the LEDs is one that a lot of people can probably relate to, which is... Um, different spectrums at different times. Different light spectrum. And then also you need to run your room hotter and more humid to get LED lights to work because they don't have as much, I believe it's ultraviolet radiation, like uh, latent heat coming off of the fixture essentially, which raises the surface temperature of the leaf and gets the surface temperature of the leaf up into, like the temperature in the room maybe 75, but the leaf temperature, the surface of the leaf is warmer than that. And uh, it, it basically puts the plant into a better VPD where the plant is able to grow more efficiently because the um, pressure differential is ideal for transferring humidity and water and air or CO2 for the plant to do its pro the process of um, photosynthesis. Mm -hmm. So that if, if it's too cold or the humidity is too low, the stomata on the plant close and the leaves aren't really breathing anymore. Um, and vice versa, if it's too hot or too humid, it'll close up. So you have this kind of perfect window of humidity and temperature and there's a chart for it, right? That you need to be at this humidity at this temperature to really be in the, pro in the ideal growth um, zone in terms of environment. <coughs> and just being in and out of that zone and how effectively your equipment and your environment stays in that zone. And then learning how your plant grows. Does it like it on the drier side of that zone or the warmer side of that, or the wetter side of that zone? Or does it like the cooler side of that zone or the higher temperature of that zone? Do I run it high temp when it's young so the plant grows really fast, but then drop it off at the end so that the terps stay preserved? And that's all kind of what you have to figure out. And like sour diesel, I think is a really good example. A lot of people say it doesn't have the terps it used to or this or that. And it's because I think a, a lot of the sour diesel terpenes and its smell are easily volatized. So if you have a warm room, like an LED room, that you're trying to get a heavy yield from, so you're running higher temperatures with higher overall humidity, and you run those temperatures and humidity longer into the flowering cycle, or even all the way till the end, and not lower the temperatures as it gets into bud for major bud formation. Those volatiles are compromised before you even chop. That's right. And that's why your room stinks, right? Your like 84 degree grow room smells way more than your 74 degree grow room. Well, the, those terps aren't dissipating and then re reforming themselves just because it's hotter. No, you're cooking off more. 
you're still producing the same amount or maybe slightly more because the plant's a little healthier at the higher temperature and elevated rates, but um, you're cooking off way more than you're creating. And so now it ends up with like this hay smell or this just hot weed smell, like it was grown in a hot room. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, you know, that's that phenotypical variation that's occurring. It's been interesting to see like with the evolution of LEDs, you know, it took a while for everybody to kind of dial it in. I noticed the same thing with the aquarium industry because we used to use metal halides and it would, mm -hmm. you would have to run a chiller on the tank because the lights were so hot, they're heating up the water. So yep. in order to keep it stable, you had to run a chiller. Well, now we run these LEDs. They, I used to run like 500 watts of metal halide over like a four foot tank. Now I'm running like maybe 120 watts of LED. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to run a chiller anymore, but we noticed that the LED, they don't put out quite as much of a, even though they say they do when you look at like the nanometers and the spectrum of it, mm -hmm. the UV from it is just not the same. Exactly. So now what we have, we've kind of noticed over just experimenting so a couple a years, bar. run it. Well, you can do that, or you yeah. can run your tank a little higher alkalinity, a little bit lower calcium. You can do things that tweak the water chemistry that seem to, for whatever reason, kind of make up for that or make the, the organism better able to handle handle that lower UV environment. Yeah. And it seems like it's the same thing with weed. You Very know? similar. You're trying to find this narrow range of environmental conditions that all these species of plants or animals or whatever like to live in. And when you change one variable, all the other variables potentially change as well. And so you have to figure out how do I maintain uh, the quality or the characteristics of what it was I used to know how to do and start applying it to this new technology or new equipment. When you're talking about tweaking, you know, grow room uh, variables for a particular variety, it got me thinking, because I always think of what you do as just like, you know, popping seeds, making selections, moving on from there. But I guess part of when you get a strain dialed in, That's so right. to say, is, okay, we popped these hundred seeds, we gave them kind of a basic environment. We you know, kept these two or three, Pick whatever, and then and you take those things and then you, as you run them out, you tweak little things in the environment to see if you can accentuate it in one direction or the other, or kind of bring out that stuff that kind of caught your attention in the first place. Exactly. Or maybe make up for some def deficiencies by tweaking the environment as well. Exactly. <coughs> I mean, dog walkers, just good skunky chemi herb. So this is old school weed, you know? Yeah, exactly. This is, uh, this, I guess, again, we get on these nostalgia things all the time, but this right here takes me back to the era of kind of when I fell in love with weed or maybe a little bit after, but kind of when we started doing like the videos crazy and I started traveling all over and meeting all types of people, we were smoking weed that looked and smelled a lot like this back 100%. then. 100%. You know, especially in Southern California, LA area. Absolutely. Know? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I see how the candy craze has taken over, but honestly, I don't smoke very much candy weed. I mean, I got jars of Skittles, just pure Skittles all the time, and I don't really smoke it. The Skittles, papaya, tangy type shit. Yeah, I don't smoke any of that. Like, I have jars of it. We grow it, but I don't, I don't personally smoke any of it. None of it has enough, like, strength, either in, like, the potency of the herb or in the potency of the flavor, honestly. Like even Skittles itself, to me, the smell is incredible, but the taste doesn't translate like 100% really. 
It's um, I think it has to be grown really, really well. Well, it's like got this airiness to the flavor. It's right? not as thick and pungent as you expect. Yeah, on the it nose. doesn't. It doesn't stick to my mouth like an OG or Chems or anything like that does. It doesn't. It just. I feel like I'm smelling it and tasting it only through my nose. Does that make sense? Yeah. And there's a lot of strains like that. HP 13 is a great example of that as well. And I'd say sour diesel is like the opposite, right? It doesn't necessarily have the most like insane smell where you're like, oh my God, like dog walker reeks compared to sour diesel. But the flavor on sour is the smell times three. Exactly. It really sticks to your palate. It has a really mouth coating um, thickness to, to the smoke. That, it, in my opinion, is why people really like sour diesel. Really well sour diesel just sticks to your palate. And it tastes skunkier than it even smells, honestly. It just has that, that palate coating thing. And um, Dog Walker has that too. The Chems, OGs, I think the Moombos and the Rainbow Belts do. But the like Pure Skittles doesn't do that for me. Or HP 13 doesn't do that for me. Um, yeah, that's just been It's not opinion. even so much that it doesn't, because we talk about things sticking on the palate, mm -hmm. but it's not so much that it doesn't stick, it just comes through a little, just not full-bodied to begin with, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it just has somewhat to do with just potency, yeah. right? It's like if it's a really, if it's a strain that doesn't have a, a, that much resin on it, it's just really terpy resin, it might not be thick enough, the, it might not have enough resin on it, per gram, which is why it tests low. It's not densely concentrated. Yeah, it's not densely concentrated enough to overcome the, the smoky taste of the flower material that you're smoking, all the leaf and plant matter that all the resin is sitting on top of. You have to have enough resin to not only mask that, but then taste on top of it. And the stuff that's a little bit lower in, in concentration, I think may just not have, it's, even though it's considerably more terpene rich than your average strain, the density of it doesn't, you don't get enough of the good smoke to overcome the bad smoke in every toke. And I guess when it comes to the extract side of it, it's just like it's so heavily concentrated again with those terpenes that you're just not going to get quite as much as you're going to get psychoactively as you're going to get from, you know, something that's a little bit, because I always lean kind of more the way you do, funky, gassy, mm -hmm. Chemi, fuel, those that's always been my terp profile that I lean towards. And I've always wondered if that's based purely just on palate or my, my body going, this is what gets me there chemically, mm -hmm. rather than like, I'm the same way, bro. Like straw nana, tangy, papaya, all these terps, they're like, okay, that's a that's a, that's like eating a piece of candy. You know what I mean? It's not a meal. Right. That's kind of how I look at it. Agreed. You know? Yeah, it's a snack. Yeah. Yeah, well, in a lot of those strains, they're only really good as hash, right? Like Skittles hash to me is one of the most potent tasting hashes out there. But the flower to me doesn't, doesn't have quite that oomph to it. Hybrids of it have a lot more oomph to it, but the um, hash, it's like you get rid of all that plant material that was masking the low density resin, resiny plant and just smoke just the resin. And now it tastes incredible and that's, I think that's the gift of a lot of those strains too, is that they have such a uh, high potency level. I mean, such a high terpene level and just are so odiferous that once you get rid of the smokiness of the flower, the 
extract is incredible. <laughs> you got me thinking too about OG just overall. Like, I'm surprised that you don't really see a lot of OG commercially even in California anymore. No. You know, ever since everything went over to has to have color on it. Yeah. You know, the biscotti, gelato, lemon cherry, ization of everything. Mm -hmm. I thought OG would never die, bro. Like, not that it, I mean, there's still plenty of OG around. Don't get me wrong. But commercially, commercially yeah. speaking, it's really died down quickly, which kind of, you know, surprising to me. I think the purple craze, I think one of the main reasons why it's become so popular is mainly one reason. The, the reselling market, which is essentially dispensaries and middlemen or trappers included, the majority of them don't spend any time, energy, or money in preserving the product between when they acquire it and when they get rid of it. So like they don't make sure to show up at the farm the day after it gets trimmed. No, most people don't go through any of that trouble. They just call people up and ask what's around. Um, and then those people probably don't preserve it in, as well either, right? In between, but basically, if you have a slow process and no one's like treating it like it's spoiled milk, essentially, like transporting milk, um, like they do with fresh frozen and with the hash and everything. You're losing quality at every step of the you're process. You're losing quality across that whole time that it takes all those people to touch it. And the thing with these um, purple strains is the color doesn't change. So like if you buy green herb, and you have a slow process to market, it's gonna turn yellow before they get it to the market and it's gonna lose a lot of its best qualities because no one preserved the product. It's like getting uh, 30 day dry aged steaks but they didn't do it in a refrigerator. It's like, well, f that's not a dry aged steak anymore, that's rancid meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, but if it's treated and handled correctly and put in the refrigerator and Everyone maintains that throughout the process. No light in the in the freezer, the whole nine. Um, you're not going to have that degradation. So with green strains that are spe as skunky, especially, they lose their odor faster, um, or let's say turn rancid quicker for the, to have the same analogy. And then you also um, are going to have it turn brown, essentially. Well, like sour is another perfect example yeah. of this. Just two volatile terps, super, super light green, as light green as it gets. You got you to keep it fresh. You got to smoke it fresh. Exactly. And so I think, you know, the brokers and all the middlemen have kind of dictated to the consumer what the consumer wants, and they're marketing it like that simply because it's better for their lack of innovation in the processing and handling department, essentially. That's probably the biggest factor along with the everything has to be eight weeks thing, you know? Yeah, and that's just for scheduling facilities. Exactly, it's like between the grows preferring an eight week strain that they can, that produces hardball nugs that they can run through trim machines and it still looks um, good Whereas like a lot of the gr best green strains, you can't run them through a trim machine or it gets all rounded off and looks like 
BC Bud. Smells like BC it's Bud. It's foxtail or something like that? Yeah, or just has that bulbous kind of galaxy instead of being just a round block like gelatos and everything. Yeah. And uh, so th I think that's really the biggest issues is you got cultivators choosing it because it fits into their scheduling. And again, they're not preserving. Most growers aren't preserving their product correctly or handling it correctly, don't have staff handling it correctly. And, it, it, you know, it's like going to the grocery store and the reason you only have a handful of different types of oranges to pick from is because the vast majority of the rest of those get beat up and spoil before they get transported all the way from Florida to wherever you live or from some other country to wherever you live. If that so didn't they happen, only, they'd be half the price. Yeah, and so, and growers only want to grow the stuff that yields the most water weight and processes and handles the most easy so they can do it mechanically. Otherwise their labor cost goes up. So unfortunately it's the overproduction and the lack of retailers with their hands in their own process. I mean, I'd say more than nine out of 10 dispensaries do not own their own grow or have anything to do with growing. And probably nine out of 10 grow operations are owned by people that don't have anything to do with growing and don't know anything about it hardly either at this point. Um, it very, used to be that way. There used to be, uh, yeah, it used to be all owner operators in terms of growers. And it used to be the vast majority of people that owned dispensaries were operators that became owner operators. You know, they, you either grew weed and opened a dispensary or you opened a dispensary and then started growing weed yeah. because of it. That was pretty much the whole market and even like, Colorado, like right before you guys moved out there, it had that 70-30 rule. <coughs> Everything had, that you sold had to be grown 70% in-house. That's right. And, and that, that was basically it guaranteed an owner-operator, and that preserved a very diverse marketplace. And as soon as you allowed the big commercial grows to start distributing product to every shop, you end up with this concentration of business models that work the bunch of different stuff used to work. Now only one thing works because the price is so low and the, there's brokers now and there's uh, distributors that are controlling retail outlet relationships and the people that own the retail outlets don't know anything about weed. So they just hire these management companies essentially to buy product for them collectively so they can save money. They don't have any hand in curating the menu. Like, that's one thing I like about Doja Pack's model um, is that like he's essentially curating weed for his customers and he's convinced his customers to trust his opinion, which is essentially exactly, and that's what his brand's built on is that trust. And that's what a brand is. It's trust in the marketplace. And a dispensary used to have trust in the marketplace typically because um, the person that was running the dispensary also was a weed smoker and was curating a menu for their shop. Like you were saying, Luke at uh, Connected used to have you come in. Because Luke's a weed smoker. He likes awesome weed. He has no problem paying for the best weed. And he was curating his menu. Mm -hmm. and, th that, and that's why people like me and you know him. Um, and, and you don't really have shop owners that are um, involved in their operation like that anymore. I think, honestly, that 70-30 rule was... One of the better ones, you know, oh, yeah. I, I think if they instituted that, especially like in the California market or in every market, I feel like that just makes for a more stable, uh, a market that rewards 
you know, keeping customers happy. Because at the end of the day, like, there's so many situations where you can just be essentially the only game in town. Like, you can drive to all mm -hmm. these different shops, but they all got the same shit because they're yep. all working with the same distros and everything. Yep. So it's like the, the you know, it used to be like even in the medical days in, uh, in L.A., it was like this shop, you always knew they had these couple things that were like unique to them. Green Angel was like that back in the day with the, the pure The Planetary OG shop. It's like they all had their own menus and they were curating it for their customers. And it was something unique and it, it made sense to travel to go to, or there was just certain shops where it was like, yo, if I'm ever in that area, I stop through there to see what they got because they got some shit over there that I can't get elsewhere. You and know? They were, it's and not they, like that anymore. And they were employing growers, essentially, that were doing that job. You know, you they wanted to have a bomb sativa on their shelf. So there was a guy out there making a living doing that for them. You know, they didn't have to worry about where they're going to find it from. He that's their whole business. They and that guy's job them. was to do what you were talking about before. He's the guy who actually does show up at the grow when the first day the shit is yeah, ready. Yeah, and when he dials the strain in, so you're not just getting some mediocre version of a strain that's grown mediocre so it's not impressive at all you're getting a guy whose whole business is to get the green angel sour diesel og haze that everybody loves that they bred in-house to put that on the shelf and it to be the highest quality every time i mean not that that was a strain from them but whatever it is and that's kind of what we try to preserve here at archive too is doing that and providing it to the customer we make new varieties we'd grow it to the best of our abilities and put it on the shelf. And if it doesn't meet that standard, we really don't put it out. Um, and that's why we're probably one of the only shops in the area that actually has their own menu. Yeah. That's, that's not that's curated. Yeah, like you that's said, curated, not just locally from the best growers, but also curated with stuff that we do in house. And it's the same thing. Like with the Doja pack thing, like you said, it's like what if people, keep coming back and every time you deliver on that promise of this is yeah. the best, we're bringing you the best fucking herb that we can grow, that we can find. We can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's something to be said too for like, you know, like, I think it had something to do with when branding became a thing because now the only, there's no shops, especially, I'm just thinking in the California Shop market brands. right now. There's no shops that are known for certain varieties now though. Back then, no, no, that's yeah. what it used to be. It was like Candy Jack was at Green Door. You know, no. Golden Pineapple was Creme de Canada. Which the, shop can you get the connected herb that you like to buy at? Cheapest. Yeah. Or what, what shops carry this brand, and then which one of those is the cheapest? But even then, it's like, do they store it well? Do they even care about storing it well? How often do they pick up an order from the, like... I want a shop that picks up orders every week. You want the busiest shop. You want to stand in line as long as possible right. because you know they have to re-up the most and the shit that you're going to get there is going to be the freshest. Exactly. And I just don't, I feel like that type of business model does a disservice to the customer because you get a lack of, of product variation in the marketplace. There's no one dialing in strains. There's hardly any small operators with unique growing methods like... There's certain strains that the, a different type of growing method is even warranted to get the most out of it. Like Albert Walker is a perfect example. It's not that great of a plant to grow like in soil or cocoa. You have to be a really good grower to get it to come out really, really good in some like organic soil or um, uh, like cocoa fiber or a peat moss cocoa fiber mix or whatever, like a soilless media. Mm -hmm. Um, 
put Albert Walker in um, like DWC, deep water culture, or NFT, and it kills it. The plant, it has a small root mass, so it doesn't like fill your bucket up with roots. And you get colas as big as your arm, just big top cola. Um, you got to watch out for mold. It gets so big. And the quality is better, I think, than everything except for like a really, really good organic soil runs that I've done with the water. Why do you think that is with that one? I think it has a, generally speaking, as a clonal variety, it has a weaker root system than a lot of other varieties. Like OG is a perfect example as well. Pretty hard to grow in, um, in uh, soilless media and get a good method. That's why everybody said OG doesn't yield. But what about all the guys getting three pounds of light in rock wool and in ebb and grow bucket systems? There's tons of guys doing that in LA for years. That was all they did. Um, so don't tell me it doesn't yield. Just tell me it doesn't yield in your method. Um, because I've seen the same plant yield heavily and be really high quality still, but hydroponically. And it's, I think it just has to do with the type of media, like maybe the OG originally was in a very sandy area in like where it originally came from, like Afghanistan or Pakistan or wherever. That variety maybe came from a very sandy area. So it's used to having a more aerated medium. Just a thought, you know, I'm not saying that's the fact. I'm just uh, pointing out that that's been my experience. Those are the type of factors that tend to come into play. Yeah, and it may not be like a deficiency, like, oh, OG's got a bad root system. No, it's just more adapted to a different type of aeration level in its soil, and it's your goal as a grower to figure out what those variables are and then increase the quality that you're achieving with it. Uh, your nutrient recipe can have a massive impact on that. One thing that people do wrong a lot with growing OG is running calcium nitrate for too long. If you run too much calcium nitrate for too long, it'll be really dark green and it'll, um, like, uh, it just, it, it'll be really dark green and the quality just isn't there. Like over fertilized OG, if you've done it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It just, you're basically killing it with kindness. You're just fertilizing too much and it doesn't really need quite that much. How, how much is too much? How long is too long? That's for you to figure out with your media and your system. If you're in a really aerated system, you may be able to feed calcium nitrate for much longer and much heavier because the plant's actually use, eating through it. If you've got like a um, small plant that you flowered a little too early in like a two or three gallon pot of soilless media, you probably need to cut it out pretty early. And I mean, this was even pretty well known like uh, with um, sativas like super silver haze or any of that type of stuff. You can't, you can't just give it the normal fertilizer regimen. Otherwise you'll just get ram's horn leaves going all the way up the plant. Just so it looks over fertilized. Um, so basically like with a lot of those hazes and stuff, you basically can only give them nitrogen until like the first few weeks. And then you just pepper it in with your feedings after that. If you, if you just keep giving it a high nitrogen formula after like 30, 40 days into flower at the most, it's going to go 80, 90 days. 
it'll just keep growing on you. It won't ever finish. It'll just keep stacking more calyxes on top of more calyxes and more bracts and more little ram's horning leaves coming out. It just never finishes up. And the weed just kind of is never really any good when you grow it like that. But you take that same strain, cut the nitrogen out early, and then finish it out with like a, a low nitrogen flower recipe, like high in phosphorus, high in potassium, low in nitrogen. Um, <clears throat> the thing will like finish out and flower and bulk up and make nice tight spear-shaped nugs that aren't growing on top of each other. Man. And that's, that's just fertilizer. You can do that with temperature too. Like if I take the same sativa variety and give it lots of food and keep the temperature elevated, like 85 degrees, oh, dude, the thing will grow forever, basically. I mean, you'll be flowering for 25 weeks, like half a year. Does it tend to be like once you've seen enough of these characteristics that you don't like and you've done environmental tweaks or, or nutrient, you know, regimen tweaks to be able to correct some of these, does it tend to be pattern where you see that characteristic and it's the same fix no matter what the cultivar or is it just really dependent strain dependent no matter strain what dependent. every new every part of your nutrient formula can be manipulated like i always say this is uh, with um cannabis the best grower is not the guy that grows the quote-unquote healthiest plants meaning the highest bricks and sap levels and everything that's not the only factor it's also manipulating the growth pattern of the plant to produce flower that we want to smoke. So like you can grow a plant and if you just test the leaves and test it based on like it's, um, it's sap analysis, you're going to grow a really healthy, big plant, but you're also going to grow lots of stem, lot more leaf. Vigorous isn't always it's, better. Yeah. Vigorous also means more vigorous in plant material. And with, cannabis that you want to smoke the main goal isn't to just grow the biggest mass of cannabis flower regardless of everything else with big stems in it and all this other stuff the goal is to produce the most densely tightly packed flower material with the most densely packed resin on top of it you don't want some big airy fluffy shit with uh low resin density just means you're going to be smoking lots of plant material per gram and way less resin what you want is something that's like has very little plant material in terms of mass not not size not visually the mass of the plant material versus the mass of the resin on it you that's want the plant the expelling as much energy producing the stuff that you actually want to smoke rather than just making more plant that's right yeah and that that's what the most important part of like a good grower is able to visually see what that plant what's actually healthy through a manipulated regimen not healthy from a sap analysis growing as much plant material that's kind of what i was getting at too yeah. it's like once you see enough of these examples over and over that is what makes you a good grower mm -hmm. you're able to recognize okay i've seen this before let's try this oh that one thing didn't work well then this other thing will definitely work okay yeah. now we got it you know one of the things that helped me the most figuring out strains and now i can just visually identify like a whole mother room full of plants without even looking at the labels if it's plants i know that well just even in veg no problem um but 
One of the things that helped the most was growing in deep water culture and NFT. So because you have no, um, there's no medium that's interfacing with your nutrient delivery. So when I have NFT or deep, deep water culture, the roots are just suspended or sitting in water. Aeroponic, this would apply to as well. Any media-less grow method. And because the roots are sitting in the, your solution, your nutrient solution, any changes I make to my nutrient solution, you can almost immediately see a change with your plants. Just mainlining it. You're just, exactly. It's like eating the drugs versus intravenous. And there's, so when you start really, like when I first started growing, I was really into hydro because I was trying to get as much production from a small space as I could. Um, I was using my whole apartment, both bedrooms and the back closet. Um, so it's as much space as I had and as much wattage as I had available. Um, <coughs> but that was, um, you know, basically I had NFT tubes was like the first thing I started with. And then once I moved out of that apartment, I started doing DWC with the buckets. Um, but the NFT, which is still one of my favorite cultivation systems, the other thing that helps with that method is you pretty much flower clones. So they just, they, you get to see like how much it really stretches. And a lot of plants that like, that are kind of slow or people think are slow plants in soil, like the purple indica or some of these other things, they're actually pretty vigorous growers. Um, when they're in a, in a, uh, just nutrient solution, just sitting in it. So, and when I started growing, there was this store in North Seattle called Echo Enterprises and they sold raw salts. So I could buy magnesium sulfate, uh, calcium nitrate, potassium phosphate or potassium, whatever, but all the different like chemicals, monopotassium phosphate, all these different chemicals. I could just take like a, I could not only make my own nutrient formula, but I could take like a formula that's off the shelf, right? Let's say like Dynagrow, which was a single part uh, nutrient formula or Botanicare or GHS three part. And I could just add like 50 PPM of calcium nitrate and see what happens to that row of plants on that tank. And I have everything next to it just on the regular formula. So now I know what, adding 50 ppm of this does to these plants that seems like the way to do it you use a base nutrient that gives you a control and then every single tweak you make you can immediately watch the results exactly of it. and it's like if i had two rows and and i had a tank on each and um on one tank i'd do like a mono ammonium phosphate uh or an ammonium phosphate like uh uh, like I would, what I would do, at least this was one of my tests is I would drain both tanks. Um, and then I would refill one with the nutrient, regular nutrient solution, whatever I was using. And then the other one for like two days, I would just use only, or, or not even two days. I mean, it depends on how big the plants were a lot of different factors, but for a short period of time, I would put no base nutrient, but only like a uh, ammonium phosphate, which is like a, a bloom, inducer right and i would just use that for two days drain the tank and then put the regular nutrient solution back in 
and I'd see a significant difference in like the amount of flower set on these plants versus the ones that didn't get that shot. Well, now I know what an ammonium phosphate shot at 25 days in the flower does to this strain at least. Yeah. And it increased my yield heavily and had no discernible difference on quality. That seems like it, even though maybe it, was, it wasn't, you know, maybe that's not your preferred method as far as like best smokable herb, but if you want to learn a lot about how to work with a lot of different plants and tweak things in a short amount of time, it seems like that was very valuable time period if for take, that. If you take that NFT system and you dial in a nutrient formula for your strain, that's like with timing introduced nutrient shots like I was talking about and you know how to manipulate that plant that's arguably some of the best herb you'll ever see in your life like I'm not even joking like the just the bud size and the size of the calyxes like everything looks exaggerated I used to call it dinosaur weed or like prehistoric weed because it you know when you go see a big like monstera plant and it's got a big monster leaf, like in the tropics. You see all those plants with big, like huge leaves on them. It looks like it's from a different time. Yeah, you're like, where's the dinosaurs going to pop out of a velociraptor? I mean, that's, that's how the weed looks because you've really increased the cell, the, the size of the cells of the plant because mm. you've increased its, its growth rate. And so I'm not saying every strain, but you can arguably get the healthiest plant in a cultivation method that doesn't have any media at all, like DWC, which is why people started doing DWC and NFT is because the yield is crazy on it. I mean, you've you've probably seen, the, it's gone really viral online, those uh, vegetable towers, have you seen them? There's like, um, they become popular where it's like, it's basically an aeroponic tower. And it's this plastic thing with a tower. And people oh, okay, are going okay, like okay. broccoli yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know, chives and whatever else in there. And they're huge. Like, have you seen the size of these things? Yeah, I think I've seen what it's, you're about. They're nuts and you, they pull them out and it's just this little root system, but it's an aeroponic tower. It's a medialist growth system. And the growth rate is because the, the roots are so oxygenated. That's the thing. There's no period in time where the roots don't have massive amounts of oxygen. So, yeah, it's... They're just absorbing all the time. They never yeah. get choked out. In the Grow series, I would like to, at a certain point, put together an NFT room and really show people how it's done. Because I think hydroponics is one of those lost art methods with the commercialization of cannabis. Mm -hmm. You don't have many people that are doing it and hardly anybody that really knows how to rock it like there used to be. And it arguably is some of the best yielding and cleanest herb you can possibly grow. There's no such thing as salt buildup. Yeah. You don't, you can't, it's like you can over fertilize, but you, it's, you'll kill the plants before you get a salt buildup in your tanks. I imagine you flush way quicker too. Flushes in, in minutes, <laughs> yeah, like pretty much. Like if you, t if like you almost, you can't flush with zero PPM in it or your plants literally just die, right? Damn. Yeah, so you literally have to like take a, your, nutrient solution and reduce it over time taper it off but yeah. you're feeding them basically to the last minute yeah yeah i mean you could flush them if you wanted to the last day but i didn't notice any difference and <coughs> you want to talk about white ash this shit's like fucking dust yeah i think that actually would be a really cool thing to do yeah right there. no it's i started in nft 
So for me, it's like I, I want to get back to it. And the main reason why we moved away from it over time is, A, it's difficult to get employees that know how to run it. And, and if you fuck something up, it fucks everything up, right? So you have to be on top of your shit. The other reason is historically with uh, power usage, you didn't want to use power for things like water chillers. You know, water chillers use a pretty good amount of power. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna use a 2400 watts on a one and a half or one horsepower water chiller for all these systems or two or three half horsepower chillers or whatever you're gonna do. And uh, I could put up another light or two if I didn't run that. Same thing with air conditioning, why historically people didn't do it is because you only had a 200 amp service coming into your house. And it was sketchy and plus a lot of it was rentals. You're not gonna go get a power upgrade. So you have a limited amount of wattage that you can use before you start burning up your wires and shit. So um, that's why people would have flip-flop boxes. So you could run night and day, right? So you could run a 10 or 20 lighter during the day and 10 or 20 lights at night, but you couldn't run a 40 lighter all at once or you'll pop your, your transformer. So adding, the goal was always to increase lights and reduce wattage of everything else that you're using. Well, it seems like too now with LEDs, like that eliminates most of that issue too. Yeah, it the, makes a lot it of much latent, more viable. Yeah, a lot of the latent heat that you were dealing with in uh, uh, HID room that you were using the, the chiller to fight, you're not fighting that heat load anymore. So yeah, I think it, it would be pretty awesome. And it's, it's just a really cool grow method and it really, there's a lot to be learned in the process of cultivating with NFT or DWC. Yeah, I never really or thought about it. I never really thought about what kind of a lost art like hydro in general is these days, you know? Like in the early 2010s, everybody was doing it, you know? In early 2000s, I'd say it was even more popular because most people had a even more limited. They only had like one small room they could put two lights up in. So it's like, fuck, I'm trying to get, like, I don't care how I have to grow in here. I just want to get the most weight. That's what most people are trying to do. Got two lights, four lights maybe. More than that was hardly anybody, unless you were really, really serious, like me and, you know, there were people, but it wasn't many. And so most people were just trying to get the most production from whatever small space they had allotted for it. And uh, hydroponics will definitely help you do that. Especially if you're growing something that goes past eight weeks and you're, you are sacrificing calendar time, oh, yeah. then you really got to make it up with yield. And that seems like it makes it even more viable for varieties like that. Well, and you want to make it worth it because you might go to jail. So it's like, fuck, I'm, I'm going to try and do the best possible. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm not going to just like go buy some miracle growth soil, plant some clones in it and overwater them and risk my freedom for fucking three quarters of a pound of light. Yeah. Fuck that, right? I'm going to get two and a half pounds of the most chronic weed that people are banging my door down for 4,400 a pound. Because if I'm going to go to jail, I'm going to fucking do this shit the right, like I'm going to go to jail for a reason, not go to jail for, to have a hobby that I suck at. Yeah. Remember the Knights Templar? The, that was like a, the, to protect the cup of Jesus, like in, um, uh, 
Wasn't that from? No, Indiana I mean the Jones? weed, the weed strain. Nice. Oh Templar. no, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I, it may not even have been called that. I used to know this old dude that used to grow hydro up in the Santa Cruz mountains, and he had this stuff that he called that, and that was every time I think of. He's an Indiana Jones fan. <laughs> every time I think of hydro, that's the first weed that pops into my head. Yeah, but I, I mean, I remember I, I grew DWC and NFT for years, and I grew all my strains in it. My buddy that that does the breeding facility with me right that that works there <coughs> i his first grow i he left his apartment to go on a job for a week he came back and i filled the whole thing with a light on a mover and nft tubes that was his first grow was my old nft tubes oh he's stoked stoked right and he took that harvested all got the money went and rented a house you know and then eventually i had we had all kinds of hydro he basically would take my used equipment when I was done with something or bought some new shit, I'd take it over to his place, set it up for him, and let him run it. And, it, he, you know, he's gotten the biggest Albert Walker nug I've ever seen. It was like the size of a football, literally, right? It was a thousand water on a mover like this, and it was uh, NFT tables on a two-and-a-half-foot table, so it was higher than all the plants below it. And this light was over top the plants that were on the floor, and this one was like, get this far away from a thousand water on a mover. So it wouldn't sit next to it. So it was like the corner of the NFT table was getting side lighting from the thousand water basically next to it. And the thing was like the size of a football. And that's with like essentially no vegging? No vegging basically. In fact, he had like tied the plant down and then the nug came back up like this because the room was short, you know, it was a basement, basement house in Seattle. And the, the tubes need to be on a table so that you can get the water to drop off into your reservoir. So you had to train the shit out of everything? So you had to train it or flip it really small. Uh, and he was growing like Bubba's and some other stuff. So some, some of it didn't get as tall, but anyway. the walker gets pretty big. And that thing was like, it was trained out. And, that, and that's why that nug was kind of over here on the, towards the other part of the room where the plants were on the floor. It was like a football. And, you know, the thing's in a four-inch pot in a six-inch tube. It's not like it has some massive pot of soil next to it. It's just a, you know, that's how NFT is. It's it's rocker. And you never see anything like that growing Albert Walker I've in never, soil. No, I've grown it rock wool and nearly everything else. I've gotten nice, fat, nice, long colas with Walker and other stuff, but never anything that's just an unbelievable amount of size just fake looking, dino fake looking dinosaur weed. weed as you said exactly i mean i used to grow uh williams wonder at least the, the clone that i had and uh my pounds would be like like 50 nuggets it wasn't even that many nuggets it was like everything was a half ounce piece like this or it was like big three gram side pieces there was almost nothing that was like this size in it at all I mean, this, it didn't even, the we did, I, I just have to show you. It's like, it's pretty in, incredible. I haven't seen that one in a while. The, the Williams Wonder we used to get was like a super sweet kind of blueberry-ish, candy-ish terp. Is that? I, the one I had was like fresh mountain air and hazy kind of. Oh, okay. So that was one of those strains that I feel like I don't know what the original was. Because my buddy that bought it out of high times in the 80s says it doesn't smell like anything that we have around The today. stuff that I used to get was like super rainbow weed. 
Like yeah. Purple, pink, light green. And there was tons of Williams hybrids that came out too. So it's like, who knows? I don't like I said, that was just the clone I had. I don't even know if it was Williams Wonder that one because I don't really have a frame of reference to what it's supposed to be like. Either. Yeah. Another one of those old school names I don't hear anymore. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. I'm impressed with this stuff. Some good stuff. Takes me back. Yeah. Classic OG vibes. Got me thinking about old school weed growing methods. Yeah. And getting the best phenotype out of a out of a clone. Like we always say, man, there's just certain weed that takes you back to a place in time, you know. Hundred percent. And uh, I always like sparking that nostalgia. I think that pretty much does it for this one, guys. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Make sure you do all the things down there. Press the buttons, like, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one.